0: But yet God expects of all that they should use their utmost endeavors to promote it, and that the hearts of all should be greatly engaged in this affair. We should improve our utmost strength in it, however vain human strength is, without the power of God. And so he no less requires that we should improve our utmost care, wisdom, and prudence, though human wisdom of itself be as vain as human strength. Though God is wont to carry on such a work in such a manner as many ways to show the weakness and vanity of means and human endeavors in themselves, yet at the same time He carries it on in such a manner as to encourage diligence and vigilance in the use of proper means and endeavors and to punish the neglect of them. Therefore in our endeavors to promote this great work— we ought to use the utmost caution, vigilance, and skill in the measures we take in order to it. A great affair should be managed with great prudence. This is the most important affair that ever New England was called to be concerned in. When a people are engaged in war with a powerful and crafty nation, it concerns them to manage an affair of such consequence with the utmost discretion. Of what vast importance then must it be that we should be vigilant and prudent in the management of this great war with so great a host of subtle and cruel enemies we must either conquer or be conquered? And the consequence of the victory on one side will be our eternal destruction in both soul and body in hell, and on the other side our obtaining the kingdom of heaven and reigning in it in eternal glory. We had need always to stand on our watch and to be well versed in the art of war and not be ignorant of the devices of our enemies, and to take heed lest by any means we be beguiled through their subtlety. Though the devil be strong, yet in such a war as this, he depends more on his craft than his strength. The course he has chiefly taken from time to time to clog. Hinder and overthrow revivals of religion in the church of God, has been by his subtle deceitful management to beguile and mislead those that have been engaged therein. And in such a course God has been pleased in his holy and sovereign providence, to suffer him to succeed oftentimes in a great measure, to overthrow that which in its beginning appeared most hopeful and glorious." The work now begun, as I have shown, is eminently glorious, and, if it should go on and prevail, it would make New England a kind of heaven upon earth. Is it not, therefore, a thousand pities that it should be overthrown through wrong and improper management, which we are led into by our subtle adversary in our endeavors to promote it? My present design is to take notice of some things at which offense has been taken beyond just bounds. Number one. One thing that has been complained of is ministers addressing themselves rather to the affections of their hearers than to their understandings, and striving to raise their passions to the utmost height, rather by a very affectionate manner of speaking, and a great appearance of earnestness in voice and gesture, than by clear reasoning and informing their judgment, by which means it is objected that the affections are moved without a proportionable, enlightenment of the understanding, to which I would say I am far from thinking that it is not very profitable for ministers in their preaching to endeavor clearly and distinctly to explain the doctrines of religion, and unravel the difficulties that attend them, and to confirm them with strengths of reason and argumentation, and also to observe some easy and clear method in their discourses for the help of the understanding and memory. And it is very probable that these things have been of late too much neglected by many ministers. Yet I believe that the objection made of affections raised without enlightening the understanding is in a great measure built on a mistake and confused notions that some have about the nature and cause of the affections and the manner in which they depend on the understanding. All affections are raised either by light in the understanding or by some error and delusion in the understanding. For all affections do certainly arise from some apprehension in the understanding. And that apprehension must either be agreeable to truth, or else be some mistake or delusion. If it be an apprehension or notion that it is agreeable to truth, then it is light in the understanding. Therefore, the thing to be inquired into is whether the apprehensions or notions of divine and eternal things that are raised in people's minds by these affectionate preachers, which their affections are excited, be apprehensions agreeable to truth, or whether they are mistakes." If the former, then the affections are raised the way they should be, by informing the mind or conveying light to the understanding. They go away with a wrong notion who think that those preachers cannot affect their hearers by enlightening their understandings, except by such a distinct and learned handling of the doctrinal points of religion, as depends on human discipline, or the strength of natural reason, intends to enlarge their hearers' learning and speculative knowledge and divinity. The manner of preaching without this may be such as shall tend very much to set divine and eternal things in a right view, and to give the hearers such ideas and apprehensions of them as are agreeable to truth, and such impressions on their hearts as are answerable to the real nature of things and besides the words that are spoken, the manner of speaking has a great tendency to this. I think an exceeding affectionate way of preaching about the great things of religion has in itself no tendency to beget false apprehensions of them, but on the contrary a much greater tendency to beget true apprehensions of them than a moderate, dull, indifferent way of speaking of them." An appearance of affection and earnestness in the manner of delivery, though very great indeed if it be agreeable to the nature of the subject, and be not beyond a proportion to its importance and worthiness of affection, and if there be no appearance of its being feigned or forced, has so much of the greater tendency to beget true ideas or apprehensions in the minds of the hearers concerning the subject spoken of, and so to enlighten the understanding, and that for this reason— that such a way or manner of speaking of these things does in fact more truly represent them than a more cold and indifferent way of speaking of them if the subject be in its own nature worthy of very great affection the speaking of it with very great affection is most agreeable to the nature of that subject or is the truest representation of it, and therefore has most of a tendency to beget true ideas of it in the minds of those to whom the representation is made. And I do not think ministers are to be blamed for raising the affections of their hearers too high if that which they are affected with be only that which is worthy of affection, and their affections are not raised beyond a proportion to their importance or worthiness of affection." I should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can, provided that they are affected with nothing but truth, and with affections that are not disagreeable to the nature of the subject, I know it has long been fashionable to despise a very earnest and pathetical way of preaching, and they only have been valued as preachers who have shown the greatest extent of learning, strength of reason, and correctness of method and language." But I humbly conceive it has been for want of understanding or duly considering human nature that such preaching has been thought to have the greatest tendency to answer the ends of preaching, and the experience of the present and past ages abundantly confirms the same. Though, as I said before, clearness of distinction and illustration, and strength of reason and good method, in the doctrinal handling of the truths of religion, is many ways needful and profitable, and not to be neglected. Yet an increase in speculative knowledge and divinity is not what is so much needed by our people as something else. Men may abound in this sort of light, and have no heat." How much has there been of this sort of knowledge in the Christian world in this age? Was there ever an age wherein strength and penetration of reason, extent of learning, exactness of distinction, correctness of style, and clearness of expression did so abound? And yet, was there ever an age wherein there has been so little sense of the evil of sin, so little love to God, heavenly mindedness, and holiness of life among the professors of the true religion? Our people do not so much need to have their heads stored as to have their hearts touched, and they stand in the greatest need of that sort of preaching, which has the greatest tendency to do this. Those texts, Isaiah 58 verse 1, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins, and Ezekiel six eleven. Thus saith the Lord God, smite with thy hand, and stamp with thy foot, and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel! I say, these texts, however the use that some have made of them has been laughed at, will fully justify a great degree of pathos and manifestation of zeal and fervency in preaching the word of God. They may indeed be abused so as to countenance that which would be odd and unnatural amongst us, not making due allowance for difference of manners and customs in different ages and nations, but let us interpret them how we will. They at least imply that a most affectionate and earnest manner of delivery in many cases becomes a preacher of God's word. Preaching of the word of God is commonly spoken of in Scripture, and such expressions seem to import a loud and earnest speaking, as in Isaiah 40, verse 2. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her iniquity is pardoned. In verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Verse 6. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as a flower of the field. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, and so on. Jonah 1, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it isaiah sixty one one and two the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God isaiah sixty two eleven Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh, and so on. Romans ten eighteen. Their sound went into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Jeremiah eleven six, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, "Hear ye the words of this covenant and do them." So chapter fourteen, verse two and seven two. Proverbs 8, 1. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? Verse 3 and 4. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. In chapter one twenty, Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. Chapter nine, three. She hath sent forth her maidens, she crieth upon the high places of the city. John 7.37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. It seems to be foretold that the gospel should be especially preached in a loud and earnest manner at the introduction of the prosperous state of religion in the latter days. Isaiah 40, verse 9, O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, and be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Isaiah 52, 7 and 8, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice. Isaiah 27.13. And it shall come to pass in that day, the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish. And this will be one way by which the church of God will cry at a time like a travailing woman, when Christ's mystical is going to be brought forth, is Revelation 12 at the beginning. It will be by ministers as her mouth. The Christ will then cry like a travelling woman, as in Isaiah 42:14, "I have long time holden my peace; I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travelling woman." Christ cries by his ministers, and the church cries by her officers. And it is worthy to be noted that the word commonly used in the New Testament, which we translate, preach, properly signifies to proclaim aloud like a crier. Section 2. Another thing that some ministers have been greatly blamed for, and I think unjustly, is speaking terror to them who are already under great terrors instead of comforting them. Indeed, if ministers in such a case go about to terrify persons with that which is not true, or to affright them by representing their case worse than it is, or in any respect otherwise than it is, they are to be condemned. But if they terrify them only by still holding forth more light to them, and giving them to understand more of the truth of their case, they are altogether to be justified. When consciences are greatly awakened by the Spirit of God, it is but light imparted, enabling men to see their case in some measure as it is. And if more light be let in, it will terrify them still more. But ministers are not therefore to be blamed that they endeavor to hold forth more light to the conscience and do not rather alleviate the pains they are under by intercepting and obstructing the light that shines already, to say anything to those who have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? To represent their case any otherwise than exceeding terrible is not to preach the word of God to them, for the word of God reveals nothing but truth, but this is to delude them. Why should we be afraid to let persons who are in an infinitely miserable condition know the truth? or bring them into the light for fear it should terrify them. It is light that must convert them if they are ever converted. The more we bring sinners into the light while they are miserable, and the light is terrible to them, the more likely it is that afterward the light will be joyful to them. The ease, peace, and comfort which natural men enjoy have their foundations in darkness and blindness. Therefore, as that darkness vanishes, and the light comes in, their peace vanishes, and they are terrified." But that is no good argument why we should endeavor to hold their darkness, that we may uphold their comfort. The truth is, that as long as men reject Christ and do not savingly believe in Him, however they may be awakened, and however strict and conscientious and laborious they may be in religion, they have the wrath of God abiding on them. They are His enemies and the children of the devil. As the Scripture calls all who are not savingly converted, Matthew thirteen thirty-eight, First 1 John three ten, And it is uncertain whether they shall ever obtain mercy. God is under no obligation to show them mercy, nor will He if they fast and pray and cry never so much. And they are then especially provoking God under those terrors that they stand it out against Christ and will not accept of an offered Savior, though they see so much need of Him. And seeing this is the truth, they should be told so, that they may be sensible what their case indeed is. To blame a minister for thus declaring the truth to those who are under awakenings, and not immediately administering comfort to them, is like blaming a surgeon, because when he has begun to thrust in his lance, whereby he has already put his patient to great pain, And he shrinks and cries out with anguish. He is so cruel that he will not stay his hand, but goes on to thrust it in further till he comes to the core of the wound. Such a compassionate physician, who, as soon as his patient began to flinch, should withdraw his hand and go about immediately to apply a plaster to skin over the wound and leave the core untouched, would heal the hurt slightly, crying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Please. Indeed, something besides terror is to be preached to those whose consciences are awakened. They are to be told that there is a Saviour provided, who is excellent and glorious, who has shed his precious blood for sinners, and is every way sufficient to save them, who stands ready to receive them, if they will heartily embrace him. For this is also the truth, as well as that they now are in an infinitely dreadful condition." This is the word of God. Sinners, at the same time that they are told how miserable their case is, should be earnestly invited to calm and accept of the Savior and yield their hearts unto Him with all the winning encouragement arguments that the gospel affords but this is to induce them to escape from the misery of their condition not to make them think their present condition to be less miserable than it is or to abate their uneasiness and distress while they are in it that would be the way to quiet them and fasten them there not to excite them to flee from it comfort in one sense is to be held forth to sinners under awakenings of conscience i e comfort is to be offered to them in christ on They are fleeing from their present miserable state to Him. But comfort is not to be administered to them in their present state or while out of Christ. No comfort is to be administered to them from anything in them, any other qualifications, prayers, or other performances past present, or future, but ministers should in such cases strive to the utmost to take all such comforts from them, though it greatly increases their terror. A person who sees himself ready to sink into hell is prone to strive some way or other to lay God under some obligation to him, but he is to be beat off from everything of that nature, though it greatly increases his terror, to see himself wholly destitute of any refuge or anything of his own to lay hold of, as a man that sees himself in danger of drowning is in terror and endeavors to catch hold on every twig within his reach.' and he that pulls away those twigs from him increases his terror. Yet if they are insufficient to save him, and by being in his way prevents his looking to that which will save him, to pull away them is necessary to save his life. If sinners are in distress from any error they embrace or mistake they are under, that is to be removed. For instance, if they are in terror from an apprehension that they have committed the unpardonable sin, or that those things have happened to them which are certain signs of reprobation, or any other delusion, such terrors have no tendency to do them any good, for these terrors are from temptation and not from conviction." But that terror which arises from conviction or a sight of truth is to be increased, for those who are most awakened have great remaining stupidity. It is from remaining blindness and darkness that they see no more, and that remaining blindness is a disease which we should endeavor to remove. I am not afraid to tell sinners who are most sensible of their misery that their case is indeed as miserable as they think it to be, and a thousand times more so, for this is the truth. Some may be ready to say that though it be the truth, yet the truth is not to be spoken at all times and seems not to be seasonable then. But it seems to me such truth is never more seasonable than at such a time when Christ is beginning to open the eyes of the conscience. Ministers ought to act as co-workers with him to take that opportunity and to the utmost to improve that advantage and strike while the iron is hot. When the light has begun to shine, then they should remove all obstacles and use all proper means, that it may come in more fully. And experience abundantly shows that to take this course is not of a hurtful tendency, but very much of the contrary." I have seen, in very many instances, the happy effects of it, and oftentimes a very speedy happy issue, and never knew any ill consequence in case of real conviction, and when distress has been only from thence. I know of but one case wherein the truth ought to be withheld from sinners in distress of conscience, and that is in the case of melancholy. And it is not to be withheld from them as if the truth tends to do them hurt, but because if we speak the truth to them, sometimes they will be deceived and led into error by it, through that strange disposition there is in them to take things wrong." So that though what is spoken is truth, yet as it is heard, received, and applied by them, it is falsehood, as it will be, unless the truth be spoken with abundance of caution and prudence, in consideration of their disposition and circumstances. But the most awful truths of God's word ought not to be withheld from public congregation, because it may happen that some such melancholic persons may be in it, any more than the Bible is to be withheld from the Christian world, because it is manifest that there are a great many melancholic persons in Christendom that exceedingly abuse the awful things contained in the scripture to their own wounding. Nor do I think that to be of weight, which is made use of by some, is a great and dreadful objection against the terrifying preaching that has of late been in New England, that there have been some instances of melancholic persons who have so abused it, that the issue has been the murder of themselves. The objection from hence is no stronger against awakening preaching than it is against the Bible itself. There are hundreds and probably thousands of instances of persons who have murdered themselves under religious melancholy. These murders probably never would have been if the world had remained in a state of heathenish darkness. The Bible has not only been the occasion of these sad effects, but of thousands, and I suppose millions, of other cruel murders committed in the persecutions that have been raised, which never would have been if it had not been for the Bible. Many whole countries have been Been, as it were, deluged with innocent blood, which would not have been if the gospel never had been preached in the world. It is not a good objection against any kind of preaching that some men abuse it greatly to their hurt. It has been acknowledged by all divines as a thing common in all ages, in all Christian countries, that a very great part of those who sit under the gospel abuse it. It proves an occasion of their far more aggravated damnation, and so of eternally murdering their souls, which is an effect infinitely more terrible than the murder of their bodies. It is an unjust thing to lay the blame of these self-murders to those ministers who have declared the awful truths of God's Word in the most lively and affecting manner, as it would be to lay the blame of hardening men's hearts and blinding their eyes and the more dreadful eternal damnation to the prophet Isaiah or Jesus Christ, because this was a consequence of their preaching with respect to many of their hearers isaiah six ten john nine thirty nine Matthew 13:14. Though a few have abused the awakening preaching to their own temporal death, yet it may be to one such instance there have been hundreds, yea thousands, who have been saved by this means from eternal death. What has more especially given offense to many, and raised a loud cry against some preachers, as though their conduct were intolerable, is their frighting poor innocent children with talk of hell fire and eternal damnation. But if those who complain in so loudly of this really believe what is a general profession of the country that all are by nature the children of wrath and heirs of hell, and that every one that has not been born again, whether he be young or old, is exposed every moment to eternal destruction, then such a complaint and cry as this be a great deal of weakness and inconsideration. Innocent as children seem to us, yet, if they are out of Christ, they are not so in the sight of God." but are in a most miserable condition, as well as grown persons, and they are naturally very senseless and stupid, being born as a wild ass's colt, and need much to awaken them. Why should we conceal the truth from them? Will those children who have been dealt tenderly with in this respect, and lived and died insensible of their misery till they come to feel it in hell, ever thank parents and others for their tenderness and not letting them know their danger?' If parents' love towards their children were not blind, it would affect them much more to see their children every day exposed to eternal burnings, and yet senseless, than to see them suffer the distress of that awakening which is necessary in order to their escape, and that tends to their being eternally happy as the children of God. A child that has a dangerous wound may need the painful lance as well as a grown person, and that would be a foolish pity in such a case that should hold back the lance. And throw away the life. I have seen the happy effects of dealing plainly and thoroughly with children in the concerns of their souls without sparing them at all in many instances, and never knew any ill consequence of it in any one instance. Section 3. Another thing against which a great deal has been said is having so frequent religious meetings and spending so much time in religion. Indeed, there are none of the externals of religion but what are capable of excess, and I believe it is true that there has not been a due proportion observed of late. We have placed religion too much in the external duties of the first table. We have abounded in religious meetings, in praying, reading, hearing, singing, and religious conference and there has not been a proportionable increase of zeal for deeds of charity and other duties of the second table though it must be acknowledged that they are also much increased but yet it appears to me that this objection has been in the general groundless Though worldly business must be done, and persons ought not to neglect that of their particular callings, yet it is to the honor of God that a people should be so much in outward acts of religion as to carry in it a visible public appearance of a great engagedness of mind, especially at such an extraordinary time. When God appears unusually present with a people in wonderful works of power and mercy, They should spend more time than usual in religious exercises to put honor upon that God who was then extraordinarily present, and to seek His face. Thus it was with the Christian church in Jerusalem on occasion of that extraordinary pouring out of the Spirit soon after Christ's ascension, Acts 2.46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. And at Ephesus, where the Christians attended the public religious exercises every day for two years together, Acts nineteen 8, 9, and 10, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them, and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And as to the grand objection of six days shalt thou labor, all that can be understood by it, and all that the very objectors themselves understand by it is, that we may follow our secular labors in those six days that are not the Sabbath. And ought to be diligent in them, not but that sometimes we may turn from them, even within those six days, to keep a day of fasting or thanksgiving, or to attend a lecture, and that more frequently or rarely is God's providence in the state of things shall call us according to the best of our discretion.' though secular business as i said before ought not to be neglected yet i cannot see how it can be maintained that religion ought not to be attended lest it should injure our temporal affairs on any other principle than that of infidelity None object against injuring one temporal affair for the sake of another of much greater importance, and therefore, if eternal things are as real as temporal things and are indeed of infinitely greater importance, then why may we not voluntarily suffer in some measure in our temporal concerns while we are seeking eternal riches and immortal glory? It is looked upon as no way improper for a whole nation to spend a considerable time in much of their outward substance on some extraordinary temporal occasion, for the sake only of the ceremonies of a public rejoicing. And it would be thought dishonorable to be very exact about what we spend or careful lest we injure our estates on such an occasion, and why should we be exact only with Almighty God, so that it should be a crime to be otherwise and scrupulously careful, lest we injure ourselves in our temporal interest, to put honor upon Him, and seek our own eternal happiness We should take heed that none of us be in any wise like Judas, who greatly complained of needless expense and waste of outward substance to put honor upon Christ. When Mary broke her box and poured a precious ointment on his head, he had indignation within himself on that account, and cries out, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence, and have been given to the poor. Mark 14.3 and so on, and John 12.4 besides, if the matter be justly examined, I believe it will be found that the country has lost no time from their temporal affairs by the late revival of religion, but have rather gained, and that more time has been saved from frolicking and tavern-haunting idleness and unprofitable visits, vain talk, fruitless pastimes, and needless diversions, than has lately been spent in extraordinary religion, and probably five times as much has been saved in various ways as has been spent Spent by religious meetings. The great complaint made against so much time being spent in religion cannot be in general from a real concern that God may be honored, and His will done, and the best good of men promoted, as is very manifest from this, that now there is much more earnest and zealous outcry made in the country against this extraordinary religion than was before against so much time spent in tavern-haunting, vain company-keeping, night-walking, and other things, which wasted both our time and substance and injured our moral virtue. Many who are zealous for this glorious work of God are heartily sick of the great noise there is in the country about imprudences and disorders. They have heard it so often from the mouths of opposers that they are prejudiced against the sound, and they look upon it that what is called being prudent and regular, so much insisted on, is no other than being asleep or cold and dead in religion, and the great imprudence so much blamed is only being alive and engaged in the things of God. They are therefore confirmed in any practice, then brought off from it by the clamor they hear against it, as imprudent and irregular." And to tell the truth, the cry of irregularity and imprudence has been much more in the mouths of those who have been enemies to the main work than others, for they have watched for the halting of the zealous, and eagerly cashed at anything that has been wrong, and have greatly insisted on it, made the most of it, and magnified it, especially as they watch for errors in zealous preachers, who are much in reproving and condemning the wickedness of the times." They would therefore do well to consider that scripture, Isaiah 29, 20 and 21. The scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make men an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. They have not only too much insisted on the magnified real errors, but have very injuriously charged them as guilty in things wherein they have been innocent and have done their duty." This is so prejudiced the minds of some that they have been ready to think that all that which has been said about errors and imprudences was injurious and from an ill spirit. It has confirmed them that there is no such thing as any prevailing imprudences, and it has made them less cautious and suspicious of themselves, lest they should err. Herein the devil has had an advantage put into his hands and has taken it, and doubtless has been too subtle for some of the true friends of religion. That would be strange indeed, if in so great a commotion and revolution, and such a new state of things, wherein so many have been engaged, none have been guilty of any imprudence. It would be such a revival of religion as never was, if among so many men, not guided by infallible inspiration, there had not been many notable errors in judgment and conduct. Our young preachers and young converts must in general vastly exceed Luther, the head of the Reformation, who was guilty of a great many excesses, in that great affair in which God made him the chief instrument." If we look back into the history of the Church of God in past ages, we may observe that it has been a common device of the devil to overset a revival of religion. When he finds he can keep men quiet and secure no longer, then he drives them to excesses and extravagances. He holds them back as long as he can. But when he can do it no longer, then he will push them on, and if possible, run them upon their heads." And it has been by this means chiefly that he has been successful in several instances to overthrow most hopeful and promising beginnings. Yea, the principal means, by which the devil was successful, by degrees, to overset the grand religious revival of the world in the primitive ages of Christianity, and in a manner to overthrow the Christian church through the earth, and to make way for the great anti-Christian apostasy, that masterpiece of all the devil's works, was to improve the indiscreet zeal of Christians, to drive them into these extremes of enthusiasm, superstition, and severity towards opposers, which should be enough for an everlasting warning to the Christian church. Though The devil will do his diligence to stir up the open enemies of religion, yet he knows what is for his interest so well that in a time of revival of religion his main strength shall be tried with the friends of it, and he will chiefly exert himself in his attempts to mislead them. One truly zealous person, in the time of such an event, that seems to have a great hand in the affair, and draws the eyes of many upon him, may do more, through Satan's being too subtle for him, to hinder the work, than a hundred great and strong and open opposers... In the time of the great work of Christ, his hands with which he works are often wounded in the house of his friends, and his work hindered chiefly by them, so that if any one inquires, as in Zechariah 13.6, What are those wounds in thine hands? He may answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The errors of the friends of the work of God, and especially of the great promoters of it, give vast advantage to the enemies of such a work indeed there are many things which are no errors but are only duties faithfully and thoroughly done that wound the minds of such persons more than real errors but yet one real error gives opposers as much advantage and hinders and clogs the work as much as tens that are only supposed ones Real heirs do not fret and gall the enemies of religion so much as those things that are strictly right, but they encourage them more, they give them liberty and open a gap for them. So that some who before kept their enmity burning in their own breasts and durst not show themselves, will on such an occasion take courage and give themselves vent, and their rage will be like that of an enemy let loose. Those who lay still before, having nothing to say but what they would be ashamed of, agreeable to Titus eight, when they have such a weapon put into their hands, will fight with all violence. And indeed the enemies of religion would not know what to do for weapons to fight with were it not for the heirs of its Friends, And so must soon fall before them. Besides, in real errors, things that are truly disagreeable to the rule of God's word, we cannot expect the divine protection, and that God will appear on our side as if our errors were only supposed ones. Since, therefore, the ears of the friends and promoters of such a glorious work of God are of such dreadful consequence, and seeing the devil being sensible of this is so assiduous, watchful, and subtle in his attempts with them and has thereby been so successful to overthrow religion heretofore, certainly such persons ought to be exceeding circumspect and vigilant, diffident and jealous of themselves, and humbly dependent on the guidance of the Good Shepherd. 1 Peter 4.7 Be sober and watch unto prayer. In chapter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about. For persons to go on resolutely, in a kind of heat and vehemence, despising admonition and correction, being confident that they must be in the right because they are full of the Spirit, is directly contrary to the import of these words, be sober. Be vigilant. It is a mistake I have observed in some by which they have been greatly exposed to their wounding that they think they are in no danger of going astray or being misled by the devil because they are near to God and so have no jealous eye upon themselves and neglect vigilance and circumspection as needless in their case. They say they do not think that God will leave them to dishonor him and wound religion as long as they keep near to him. And I believe so, too, as long as they keep near to God, so as to maintain an universal and diligent watch and care to their duty, avoid sin and snares with diffidence in themselves and humble dependence and prayerfulness, but not merely because they are receiving blessed communications from God and refreshing views of Him if at the same time they let down their watch and are not jealous over their own hearts by reason of its remaining blindness and corruption and a subtle adversary it is a grand error for persons to think they are out of danger from the devil in a corrupt deceitful heart even in the highest flights and most raised frames of spiritual joy For persons in such a confidence to cease to be jealous of themselves and to neglect watchfulness and care is a presumption by which I have known many woefully ensnared. However highly we may be favored with divine discoveries and comforts, yet as long as we are in this world, we are in the enemy's country, and therefore that direction of Christ to his disciples is never out of date in this world. Watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things and stand before The Son of Man.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail order catalog,